Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing good. Uh, you're in Boulder, Colorado today. Sunny and beautiful today, right? Which is uh, May 18th. May, yeah. Uh, it's uh, sunny for now. Uh, we've got uh, uh, snow on the horizon uh, this weekend. <laughs> no, you know, isn't it? It's, it's interesting. Like if you've lived in Colorado and for anybody listening to this show that knows Colorado, usually after Mother's Day, 90% of the time you can go down, you can buy some flowers, you can put your veggies out, you can you can put stuff in the dirt. You're usually safe, right? And then I saw the forecast for this weekend and I'm thinking, okay, uh, may have to cover some stuff up, David. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll talk about it a little bit more, but uh uh, you know, contending with all these new normals, uh, if you will, uh, you know, whether it's some um, snow in May. Uh, you know, uh, whatever, um, you know, what was the stuff in tech, you know, uh, cold waves in Texas and heat waves in Alaska. It's like, um, anyway, <laughs> well, right. I'll talk more right. about that. Yeah. Uh, give the listeners a little, uh, history on yourself, personal family, where you grew up, mom, dad, siblings. I think, I mean, I, I read, you know, read some stuff that you sent me, so I know some things, but share with the listeners, uh, early life and family, if you don't mind. You bet. Um, glad to. So uh, just uh, regionally, and this is kind of a, a, a regionally, I started my life in the Midwest. Uh, I'm from the Chicago area, uh, Cook County. Um, spent my first 16 years there. Uh, moved to Boulder, Colorado when I was 16. 16? Nine, yeah, in the middle of high school. Uh, spent nine years in Boulder and then spent 19 years uh, in New York City, primarily. Uh, and then have been back for a year and a half. Uh, yeah. Okay. What'd, so yeah, what'd, your, what'd your folks do? So yeah, my dad, uh, let's see, my mom was in the publishing industry, uh, and, uh, I primarily live with her, but, um, uh, I actually grew up around a lot of authors and literary types. And we used to, uh, we were, we lived in Chicago, but, uh, I would fly often to, especially to New York, uh, which, you know, kind of set this, uh, uh, stage for me moving there later. Uh, you know, DC, San Francisco, any of the big, uh, publishing, uh, hubs. Mm. Mm. Dad was in tech, uh, and he had started at, um, probably <laughs> juicy. Probably. My mom's stuff was juicy, but, uh, uh, but, but kind of in a different way. Um, my dad started at uh, IBM in 1971, I think. Uh, he wow. had uh, left teaching because he was having my brother and then, you know, later me and needed to make money. And um, he told me, you know, later on that he really sought, he got into tech because he did not see any, um, any limitations for, for, for where it could go. And that, I think that really excited him. Um, mm -hmm. So he 
was at IBM most of the 70s. But then in the late 70s, I think around 79 or something, I started working with Fujitsu. And then he started working with, then just shifted completely over to startups. I think he's Fujitsu was trying to move into America. And then he later started with this other company called Microtype. And he got addicted to the startup thing. And that's what I grew up around with my father. And later that translated to, um, he was early days with 3Com and early days with Novell, both of which, um, you know, were uh, huge companies of their day. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I didn't really appreciate it at the time. In fact, it was pretty annoying at the time. My dad traveled a lot. He was on the phone all the time. Uh, but I was basically witnessing the birth of of the information age um, and and hearing a lot of the the names and stuff like that. And I was, you know, uh, I, we traveled often to Silicon Valley. That was really where I vacationed with my father. We'd go to Yosemite and we'd go rafting on the California River. Cool. And cool. Um, you know, I went shooting with Howard Charney, the <laughs> the, the co-founder of Freecom, and you know, um, up in Calistoga and. Uh, like that was just that. And then meanwhile, my mom was actually, she was like a publishing person working with the tower record people. And, uh, and also like, uh, you know, uh, she was the, she was handling guy Kawasaki who was, you know, wrote the Macintosh way. So this was, you know, this was the, um, it didn't make me very, um, uh, it didn't make conversation very easy with my elementary school peers. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but it set, it set me up later in life to, um, to really understand sort of the, the, the origins of modern um, commerce and modern capitalism where, uh, oh. and, and particularly as uh, uh, tech has impacted various industrial um, mm -hmm. processes and, 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 and distribution and all, all this. But so um, that was, you know, my dad, uh, my dad had a knack for um, getting fired. Uh, it's a Friedlander curse. We, uh, we, uh, we are as respected as we are vilified. Uh, gotcha. <laughs> um, gotcha. You know, no one wants to hear that, you know, the, the, you know, the, the technical founder is driving the company into the ground. Right. Uh, or uh, we're, we're just always the, it's just our, our lot in life to, to be the deliverer of bad news. We are the reliable guys. Um, so anyway, uh, but that didn't really stop my dad from, uh, you know, kind of falling forward uh, in, a, in a lot of positions. And, and he really made a, a big name for himself uh, throughout the 90s, um, in particular as a, start, a crack startup guy. That's how we got out to Boulder in 92. Gotcha. Um, he was brought and he was involved, I'm sure, as a Coloradan, you know, you know, uh, a lot of the foundational storage companies were in this area. So he worked in a storage startup, um, was doing some consulting with storage tech and Blah, 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 blah. So, um, I mean, uh, that's, that's a long, that, that, that's, that, that's certainly my, my parental background. No, I appreciate you sharing it. Thank you. Because a lot of that is how it shaped you, right? I mean, the writing passion from your mom, for example, uh, the entrepreneurial bug, you know, from your dad. So it all, it all shapes you. I appreciate you sharing that. Now, your mom and dad were divorced then when you were what age? Uh, a year and a half. I don't recall them being wow. married. Uh, oh, so it was very, okay. it was very, okay. yeah, very different universes. All right. But for some reason, when you were a teenager, 15, 16, you said, I want to live with dad and go to Boulder. Mom stayed in New York. Yeah. I moved in with him a little bit before as, um, you know, uh, young men going through puberty <laughs> are, are want to do. Uh, nice. And and developed more identification with, you know, with my father as a man. And then, um, yep. and then eventually, and 
I moved in with them and then we got the offer. It was my last two years of high school. So being, you know, being across the country wasn't as big a deal. My mom was probably sick of me anyway, but, um, uh, um, the, uh, so I got to spend the last two years. And fortunately, again, I was always kind of a misfit. So um, I was actually into cycling already. Um, okay. I got into cycling in 1987, um, was at a, uh, a uh, summer camp up in Cop Mountain, Colorado, and fell in love with uh, cycling through the Coors Classic, which was, uh, you know, the, the nation's biggest race for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, when I moved to Boulder, uh, I, I was I was elated. Uh, I was just like... It, uh, I, I, I always hated the suburbs and that kind of carries through to my current professional, <laughs> um, pursuits as well. I really think that suburban life is just sort of weird and unnatural, but, um, I moved to Boulder and it was like, you know, you've been to Boulder. It's this beautiful town, it had this humongous cycling. I mean, it still has the, the number one cycling community in the country, really. Uh, and, um, I started actually you know, um, one of the things, you know, talking about my formative years and I realized what a blessing this is now is my folks, you know, even though they probably worked way too much, um, they never had it. That work was, um, something that was divorced from no pun intended. That was separate <laughs> from, from your interest. Like you're okay. expected to like, and be passionate about your work. Right. Good. And I don't, yeah. I mean, it's great, but it's like, it's weird. It's really weird. Like if, and like, I didn't, so, you know, I was passionate about bicycles. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to work in the bicycle industries. And lo and behold, um, I worked in the, in the bike industry. I, um, managed to work in five bike shops. And by the time I was, I think 19, I was working in one of the top bike shops in the country. Um, uh, Excel sports. Yeah. Which is still around today. Now, if I told you, um, if, I, if I told you that I recently bought an e-bike, would you shun me? Am I like, am I like erased from your, from your network? If I told you I bought an e-bike? Well, <laughs> listen, it, it's, it's a shitload better than a F-150. Okay. I mean, <laughs> um, which I see way too many people buying nowadays, you know? Right. Um, I yes. mean, my, my big, my big caveat is like, you know, I see a lot of people, A, who are riding e-bikes who don't know how to ride bikes in the first place. I really think, you know, people people need to, I mean, this is, and, uh, and then secondly, like, you know, don't ride your e-bike to the gym. All right. <laughs> like if, if you're, if you're, if you're like trying to save exercise, like, 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 all right, That's let's good. start with the lowest That's hanging fruit. But, uh, but I mean, good. That's pretty good. E-bike to the gym and park and park up front, like right next to the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that, that's so. That's I mean that that's the luxury of a of a cyclist. Like uh, yeah, the, go with that, and 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 I'm all for, you know. I mean, and we can get into it more, but like I've been associated with the minimalism movement, and you know yeah. anything that just makes things simpler, smaller, that gets people more in touch with you know nature. It's gonna it's gonna be moving in the right direction. I've had e-bikes before, so. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm okay. far from. I thought, yeah, I, yeah. I thought when I was looking at your background, I'm like, oh man, I'm, if I tell him. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I think there's problems with them, but they're the less problems with them than cars, and no one bats an eye about cars. So, uh, That's you know, true. I, I will yeah. tell you that it gets me exercising more than I did. It, it I love the nature of it. Uh, just you know, and I was not, I was not a bicyclist before, and yeah. uh, when I went over to Shields in Johnstown, Colorado, and I quote test drove an e-bike. I was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm, they're, I'm like, they're, they're I, amazing. I, I like to ride amazing. bikes now. <laughs> yeah. No, they're, 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 I mean, they, they remove barriers for people uh, yes. riding bikes, but, you know? Yes. 
Yeah, especially uh, fifty-five I, I, year, especially fifty-five year olds like me removes barriers. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so d- thank you for sharing that. One brother, by the way, right? One sibling. Yep. Still alive? Are you close to him? You guys close? What's the story? Uh, uh, we're not super close. Uh, he's, you know, um, he. He chose a little bit more of a conventional path. Um, okay. You know, he was okay. like the more conventional overachiever. Uh, I um, I didn't realize I was an overachiever until about 43. <laughs> I swear to God, I was like, I was like, oh. And, and I was I was talking to a friend of mine and uh, she dances for um, she dances for New York City Ballet. And uh, and I thought when I moved to Colorado, I thought because I spent so much time in Colorado and, you know, uh, you know, for a long period, I've smoked a lot of weed and, you know, yeah. I just kind of always kept this sort of California cool type of attitude. And, and I always did that in 20 years in New York city. I always thought that I was like, Mr. Chill, like, you know, Matthew McConaughey, Hey, you know, and <laughs> while everyone was looking on me and like, Holy shit, this guy is intense. <laughs> and, and, and like, I would do these, I would do these things and I wouldn't think about them. You know, like I'd end up on the cover of the New York times real estate section. You know, I would ride my bike across country, you know, like um, when I was 21, I rode from Boulder to Seattle, then to Seattle, Portland, Maine. Right. Cool. And during my, during my summer break from college. Right. And I, like, I didn't trip about it. Like, it was just like, I, I was restless. I don't know. <laughs> so and you never um, any married kids. Did you ever get married and kids, anything? What, what, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. And I had to overdo that shit too. <laughs> well, yeah. Give us, a, um, give me the details. Give us the details. Yeah. How many times you've well, been married? I mean, like, I, six, I, like six? Like <laughs> six? It feels like it. <laughs> uh, um, uh, actually, I just got a pop up notification from my divorce lawyer and while we were on the call here. Um, <laughs> um, uh, to cut, <laughs> cut to the ending. Hilarious. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, no, I, I eventually got married. Um, and my, you know, uh, very in keeping with my sort of overachieving, my unconscious overachieving ways. I was doing an event, um, series in New York city when we got together and I actually, um, it was sort of like Ted, but way more casual. And, um, I actually had a number of people who ended up on Ted's main stage way before they were up on Ted's main stage. Uh, I was in New York city. I was plugged in one, one of the most, um, a lot of, uh, I was plugged in with a big community actually that had migrated, uh, from MIT's media lab and become quite tight with them. And we were, um, this, uh, really tight group of, of, innovators, if you will, and influencers, but very, uh, very much in the kind of grassroots movement. I was like a community organizer, thought leader, and I was doing these events. I turned the event series into our wedding ceremony, had an open (laughs) ceremony because I had, I really, you know, was really revolting against sort of the more formulaic nature of, of marriage uh, you know, where, you know, you go on these destination weddings, everyone has to fork over a few thousand bucks just to get there. You know, do you get the invite? Do you not get the invite? My thing was open registration um, rather than boring uh, talks. I had, you know, uh, neuroscientists talk about the impacts of love on the brain. Um, and uh, it made the New York Times real estate section uh, or uh, cool. it made the, the, the next metro section. And then later we uh, we had two kids. Um, we were um, 
we were very fertile. Uh, <laughs> um, we weren't married long, but we were very productive. Uh, uh, and um, I was working at, um, I left, I had to start making some money. So I left, this is how I got into real estate. I started working with a startup through a dude that I had met through my event series who was working on micro apartments. And um, so um, I started working with him to start bringing in some money okay. and turned our uh, marital home into a, a living showcase of, uh, of the principles of the company. So that ended up at Dwell Magazine. Uh, and um, unfortunately, I just found, I just remembered it was in Tiny House Hunters. <laughs> Was it? Well, uh, uh, that's pretty cool, though. It was, a, yeah, it was the second episode, actually. Uh, did that, and also, did, um, did doing stuff like that contribute to the the breakup with, with the wife? Did, did she not like it, or what? Or was there other stuff that would it was involved? It's there? it's 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 a little tough to say. I mean, not I I don't think from my perspective, but I do think that um, I do think having overexposed. I'm like. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of numb sometimes to people's praise or, um, or, uh, what's the opposite of praise They're you know, they're, they're scoring criticism and, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. Like I just, I just kind of like, you know, I'm six foot three. I'm just like kind of above it all, you know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but I don't think everyone's like that. And I don't, um, I don't think, um, I don't think my ex, uh, uh, was probably like that. And I do think, um, you know, there are a lot of, there's a lot of problems with, uh, portraying yourself as a, as a, um, as an exemplar of something, especially when the things that are being presented, like, well, magazine didn't really present the, the full picture, you know? Um, uh, I mean, and, and certainly, you know, tiny house hunters was, you know, most of it was made up <laughs> like, was you know, it? uh, yeah. So there's all these ways, you know, in, in an increasing digitized world, of misrepresenting, you know, truth from, you know, from uh, brand or projection. And, mm. Um, mm. and we actually, if funny, I mean, strange as it feels now, but we really were um, as a couple holding up a, a model of what people could look like, uh, mm. like really what, what family life could look like in the future, because the McMansion F-150 you know, three car garage thing. It's really, really, I can't, <laughs> I can't underscore this enough. It's so unsustainable, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, you know, like, Oh, wait a minute. I, you know, like whatever, something's broken. I'll just one click shop it. I won't fix it. I won't, um, you know, I won't do without it. I'll just, I'm just going to buy a new one, you know, so or you were, you, you know, were, you were into all of that way back then. What, what year was this? Well, the, let's see, our house was, I mean, the, I started at Life Edited in 2011. All right. Okay. Um, and then our, we finished our apartment in early 2014. It was in Dwell in 2015. Okay. okay. Um, also, we were in this, uh, uh, this documentary um, in this, I just mentioned it because it, it just it actually, of all my press, it's gotten, and I've gotten stuff that I'm, I just want to be very, very clear. I've gotten stuff that I've done way, way more proud of this, but not everyone has seen on Netflix. There was a documentary about minimalism, which was pretty influential. And, and I, I was, it. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I'm talking about, I'm talking about the thing that I'm passionate about, which is like aligning our designed world, our manufactured world with our habits and with our needs and, um, and with, with our environmental constraints, which is how always did you get been, there? 
How did uh, you get there? How, where'd that passion come from? What was the trigger point or the pivot point? What happened earlier in life to drive you in that direction? Yeah, I was just born in the right place. Uh, I mean, seriously, uh, it was, if my father, I would say probably starting in the late eighties, mid late eighties started really cluing in on climate change as being the, you know, the topic, uh, that would define, uh, the next generation. Uh, and when he left tech, when he finally, when he retired in like early two thousands, um, he devoted all of his energy, shifted all of his energy to clean tech. Uh, and I'm not sure if I passed it, passed it along, but um, he actually even, he even sued Excel. Uh, I saw that. Stop, yeah, stopped the building of the Comanche 3 power plant, which now a whole bunch of activist groups are trying to shut down immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was supposed to have a 50-year timeline. It has a less than a 10-year timeline. And I forget how many billions of dollars were spent on it. Um, but, uh, you know, my father was... Um, uh, no, no disrespect to my mom, but my, 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 my father was, um, you know, he's, he was a genius, I guess. And, uh, uh, and also from a really storied, uh, activist family. Um, you know, it's funny, like all Ukraine's in the news, my grand great grandfather was uh, killed bringing relief, uh, uh, to, um, uh, fleeing Jews in the wake of world war one in Ukraine. Um, How about and, that? uh, wow. and then one day after my, one day after my grandfather's 10th birthday on July. My grandfather was born 4th of July, 1910 in New York city, believe it or not. Um, and, uh, and then my, and then both my grand, my, my grandparents, both my grandparents were, um, really, really, uh, their lives were just completely upended by, uh, geopolitical industrial turmoil of the mid, uh, 20th century. Uh, my grandmother was born in Berlin. And, uh, my grandfather was, uh, this is my paternal grandmother. And, um, she had to flee Germany in 33 when, uh, the, the Nazis came into power. Uh, she was half Jewish, which was Jewish enough. And, um, anyway, both my paternal grandparents, uh, really renounced a lot of the, um, they were both from quite aristocratic families and, okay. uh, basically renounced a lot of that. And, um, they became, uh, commies, uh, they became communists, but really in the sense of labor rights, uh, anti-war okay. movement. Uh, so, and then they translated that to my father, um, I both, see. you know, my grand, my grandparents stood up to McCarthy. My father was supposedly called the second most dangerous man in America by J. Edgar Hoover before all this tech stuff. Really? Um, he, really? Yeah. He, wow. uh, uh, was your mom? He went to, was your mom completely separated from all this? She was living a different life and didn't have any. Or, or where was she at? I'm just curious. <laughs> she'll she'll like that you asked that. Um, so my mom was born in a uh, working class Southside uh, Irish, basically Irish Catholic uh, background. All right. Okay. She was. Um, I love that Catholic uh, Catholic Catholic Jewish wedding. I bet that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it, she always tells me that my father's parents like the fact that. My mother's parents, my my maternal grandfather uh, worked on the railroads, right? Um, so, you know, completely, you know, um, just, you know, the opposite of sort of uh, elite aristocrat. Oh, uh, my mom, my mom happened to be a, a pretty smart cookie uh, okay. and really sped through um, her academic life. But she went to college 
at a convent. So she was a nun for six years. <laughs> what? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Before yeah. she met your dad? Correct. Yeah. How about that? Wow. Okay. What, so wow. this was around, this, this was actually around. How did the they meet? Of, How did they meet? Was your dad at mass and you're like, sorrow, sorrow. The no, 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 like, no. I want to um, convert that nun to. <laughs> so my mom left the convent in a very, in the Catholic church, in a very uh, pronounced way, right around I the see. time of uh, Vatican two. And this was the sixties and, Okay. Um, and she was done with it and the, you know, the oppressive background and whatnot. Fast forward to I think 1970 or something like that. She was hosting a party for a, a radical political group. Um, and, uh, that is so, I mean, uh, wow. She went from, <laughs> she went from, I'm a nun to hosting a party for a radical political group. Like and she wow. might, she might, what? she might, she might kill me for this, but, uh, she was actually, <laughs> she was a side boo of like, um, Freddie Hampton, who's the Black Panther dude who they made a movie about. That <laughs> <laughs> so, wow, your mom's got, I got to get her on the podcast. But anyway, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> um, so, and then she hosted, this is the way my dad told it. She hosted a party. My dad fell asleep on her bed, um, uh, not to make it morbid, but turned out he had cancer. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and when he woke up, he was asleep and, um, and, I don't know, like less than a year later, I think they were married. <laughs> um, wow. But she also like, she like helped him convalesce. It's a very, you know, it's a very, uh, How about that? Uh, it, whether it's me and my brother or unfortunately me and my, uh, my, my two sons, we're, we, we seem to be just born into chaos. And that's kind of like, <laughs> that is, um, and, and, and unfortunately that's kind of the times we're living in. So that's why I'm like always so smiley and happy and calm when everyone else is freaking out. Cause like, I know chaos, you know? Right. Uh, how old are you, before we get into uh, some of the things you're doing now professionally, um, I want to ask you real quick, how old are your two sons? Uh, Finn will be 10 and Ryder is seven. Ryder. Yeah. You mean uh, like Ryder flex the company that we mm -hmm. run, right? How about that? How's yeah, with an I, with a Y, with a okay, Y. Okay, okay. I actually okay. have a little necklace here that he made. Um, so uh, uh, very cool. That's how we. Yeah. That's how I. That's how I found you. I saw something on LinkedIn where I thought I thought your first name was Ryder. Remember, I was like, wait a minute. If his first name's Ryder, he's got to come on the Ryder Flex podcast, right? And then I saw. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, all right. So, by the way, your writing is really good. I read several articles. Um, I, I, I when I was reading some articles that you had published. I thought for sure, I'm like, well, I'm sure he's published a book. And so I went into Amazon and I was thinking, I just thought for sure you, you had put out a book. You haven't put one out yet. How come? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of it. So I, I went, I went, I decided the bike industry was not, it was, it was actually, it was the opposite of the computer. It was too limited. Right. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and I met a girl and uh, she was going to college you know, she's, she's going to college doing pre-med and I was like, Oh, I should go to college because <laughs> I didn't really have anything better to do. And, um, so I went to see you for a couple of years, university of Colorado, um, for two and a half years. And, uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, I, I, I was kind of the English history major, but English just cause I was always a communicator and a writer. Um, I ended, I ended up dropping out, uh, kind of reevaluating a lot of stuff. I actually got sober, um, and, uh, you know, had to put a lot of stuff together. Um, sober as in no, sober as in no cannabis, no Coke, no drugs or sober as in no alcohol or both. Um, I've, I've recently returned to cannabis, but, uh, I haven't touched anything harder than that. And, okay. um, basically 20, was it 23 years now? Wow. Okay. <laughs> 
right, yeah. very good. So we can't we can't have drinks together, but we can we can smoke a little bit together. Legally. Yeah, right. Sorry, go ahead. I got you off got you off rhythm there. Yeah. Um, so uh wait a minute. Um wait a minute, where where was I? Um you, yeah, you you were um thinking to yourself you you had dropped out of CU. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, dropped out of CU, got stuff back together, and then uh and then just really decided that um, Boulder was too small for me. I love Boulder <laughs> and, uh, um, and um, it, it's just so beautiful and the weather is so great and like yeah. it's laid out great, but uh, it, boy, is it a small white provincial town, you know? <laughs> and I was a, I was a 25 year old, you know, just bursting with energy and, and, and um, ambition and enthusiasm. So I, um, I moved to New York um, I floundered a little bit in New York too, and then eventually returned to um, school. And I finished up my undergrad at Columbia in their writing program. Uh, that, that was all pre- preface for uh, uh, my my writing. It, it was interesting because I, I graduated in early 2007, which was right around the same time as Facebook and Twitter were coming out. And, you know, uh, I've thought about this a lot, like that, sort of that dividing year um, and just sort of the the divergent paths of, of attention. Um, and, you know, I came out as a writer and a live event person in 2007 in a year when essentially the, the main structures that would erode literacy, erode liter- literacy and, and direct communication were becoming like these giants, right? So I've been a little bit, I mean... I've been behind the eight ball in terms of opposing those forces, but, um, uh, but those have always like that. That's all, um, like coming, like books, like people just don't read anymore and myself included, you know? Um, so I've always, uh, I've always tried to find this middle ground between, uh, digital communication. Cause you know, certainly in principle, the ideas of disseminating information and, uh, they're really, you know, technology can be such a great portal for, for wisdom, but, if it's only um, headlines, consumed if it's these, only if it's only he, if it's only consumed in fifty character headlines, you yeah you're not getting, keywords you're not getting and it. <laughs> yeah or you know or filters you know I'm really it's really disheartening. I just turned forty six last week all right um, and I'm single again right and you know like <laughs> in New York I used to do okay you know <laughs> like it, because <laughs> because I do well in person you know right but now. But now it's like I'm fucking so confused because it's like, like everyone, like all media procedures have are, are, are like filtered through this, you know, uh, through through the lens of technology, you know, and um, it makes me. I don't know if you watch South Park, but um, you know, there's an episode where this girl, you know, where Butter's girlfriend is uh, is not particularly attractive, but she has like a really pretty avatar, and Butter's goes around. <laughs> showing the, everyone the picture of the avatar, you know, <laughs> and, um, it's not just mating, you know, it's, 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 it's business. Um, you know, uh-huh. it's, you, yes. you know, people celebrating yes. bullshit achievements on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, by the way, you know. by the way, I noticed you do. So your LinkedIn profile, is it still under writer or you don't, is there a reason you're not putting it under your real name? I don't know. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you mentioned were you kicked well, off? You were kicked out. <laughs> Yeah, at risk. So yeah, because my email address and my first son's email address was flagged permanently, uh, <laughs> and I only had one other email address for one other son, his email address. So I mean, I people figured. just put this. People just put the stupidest shit on on LinkedIn. And, and listen, like 
I've reached out to people on LinkedIn. You know, we met through LinkedIn. I'm not like dismissing it, but people, the thing about it is people who, who are, I don't want to say important people, but people in the real estate industry, if they don't know my last name, then I don't want to fucking talk to them, you know? And, um, and what I found is there is so many people on LinkedIn where they're, you know, where they're seeming like their life's mission was to, you know, get as many likes as possible, uh, on, on a post, you know, versus like, Hey, we're here to do business, you know? Um, and I think I was starting to tell you this, but my father, you know, um, you know, I can send you something later, but, uh, when he was testifying to Colorado Congress, but my father, uh, was a do-gooder, but he also went to the university of Chicago economic school, right? Uh, he got his master's there, right. In 1968. Right. Um, so take that, you know, (laughs) And, and like, and, and he always taught me that like, you know, you know, doing good, and doing, you know, and, 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 and proper business is they're one in the same thing, you know, like real economic structures have to be on the side of good, you know, on the side of, of collective good. And what happens is, you know, especially with all of this like ESG and diversity stuff and whatnot, man, <laughs> oh, it's just like, 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 is anything actually happening behind these headlines? You know, right. Cause, cause from that's a good point. Cause I'm looking, I'm looking at the data and it doesn't seem like things are actually any more diverse likes. except on a likes, very likes superficial. Are, likes, likes are happening. Yeah. <laughs> likes yeah. Yeah. Likes I mean, and connections happening. Of, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Lots of virtue signaling, but you know, like, I mean, as far, I mean, in my particular industry and, and, and I'm sure you, you're probably feeling this in some way, shape or form, you know, housing and, and, and I'm consulting now and it's like housing is as broken as ever, you know, and I don't want to hear like anyone celebrating any, you know, big victories unless it's like, you know, unless it's really tangible and certainly don't get me hyped up about something based on, you know, based on some renderings or venture race or, you know, a fast company award or like all these things that have stood as proxies for, for success you know, they're not success. Um, and, uh, I want to ask like, you about the housing. Yeah. I want to ask you about the housing. I don't know if you want to go down that path, but I got lots of questions, but sure. But before, before we do that though, uh, I don't mean to, sp- I want to, so basically you made a living in real estate and in writing and so forth. Basically, is that right? Is that accurate? Until you move back to, yeah. now you're, st- yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a hustler, uh, really. Uh, for five years, I was on a, I was on a very small startup salary uh, with equity that didn't amount to anything. Okay. Uh, I took in 2016, the marriage didn't work out, and the startup didn't work out, and I actually uh, left both um, and started uh, being Tough a year. free agent. Um, Tough year. Tough year. <laughs> well. <laughs> The, the preceding seven years were pretty tough. My, my first son was born nine days after my father died. And, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I was, uh, I needed a break. Um, okay. Okay. And, uh, but more than that, like some of the things like these things weren't, they weren't going anywhere. And, um, uh, and, and, and as nice as, you know, like the, the startup actually, you know, we, we had a Ted talk, we had a New York times feature, we had all these awards and whatnot, and we weren't making any money and we weren't making any difference in the marketplace. And as, as sexy and cool as the marriage looked, it was, it was, it was really unhappy for, for very, you know, deep, 
deep reasons. Um, okay. So in 2016, I started consulting. Um, oh, and that's kind of like, yeah. So I, I spent like uh, a good two or three years during uh, the divorce proceedings um, that, uh, doing a free agency thing. I did a lot of, um, and this was, again, uh, all in the world of uh, housing innovation, uh, what I would call uh, 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 mostly around like in innovative ways of building, uh, operating uh, uh, real estate, and most, mostly in housing and, and okay. geared towards uh, affordability and uh, climate adaptation. Um, okay. And I used to host, I took my event history and created a pretty... Uh, unrivaled group of, of real estate people. Uh, this was again in New York city. So it was pretty easy, uh, to, to do that. And, a lot, and even if I would, you know, uh, I would work, I work with, you know, for example, like Ikea's innovation team from Copenhagen. Uh, uh, so I had, um, yeah, in, in that time, uh, I, I was a free agent and, uh, make, okay. making money off of consulting. And I'm still doing consulting. Um, although I, I've, uh, I've also, I've got a, a couple startup ambitions as well. Um, let me ask you, uh, about the startup really quick, uh, run house. Tell me about it. You can, can you chat about it? I don't know if it's top yeah, secret yeah. or if you go ahead. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I blabbered everyone about it. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think that, you know, the big, I don't know where to start. I mean, cause, cause it does follow, uh, very, uh, tangible real estate trends, but also the, these lifestyle trends. And, and, and I mentioned something before, uh, about the definition of success and, uh, you know, I wrote a newsletter not that long ago and I, it was entitled the, the cancer of success. And I mentioned that my father died of uh, cancer at, at age 67. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was, a by all accounts, he was a very successful, just great man. Just, just one of these people that everyone loved. Um, and his memorial service was teeming with his friends and enemies, right? Um, no one, no one disrespected, you know, he was also, he was a left brain and just not very, unlike me, not very self-conscious, um, and just very likable, uh, <laughs> unlike me sometimes. Um, anyway, uh, but he died of, he, he had cancer, like I said, in the early seventies. Um, but towards the end of his life, uh, he started having these recurrent problems. And, um, and then finally he had basically a two year descent into really, really awful, um, cancer, you know, and, you know, he had it in this gorgeous house overlooking Boulder, right. He had it with millions of dollars in the bank, right. He had it with, with the esteem of, of, of everyone, right what fucking good did it do? Right. He was in, he, he, he told me in his last days, I don't want to die, you know? And, um, you know, I haven't enjoyed my dad's, uh, financial success. Um, uh, I, a lot of people see me as influential, influential, but they really don't want to talk about it because they'll reveal the fact that they built their business on some blog post that I wrote. Um, but, uh, (laughs) But um, one thing I've kept my eyes on the prize with, uh, and, and uh, is I've always maintained my health, you know. And yes. so, uh, without, when I was without, consulting, yeah, without health, nothing else matters. I, I've talked about that before. Just to take, just to, just to take a, a pause right there for the listeners. 
you know, you, you think here, here's the best way to think about it. What I always tell people, if you wake up with a migraine, for example, or a severe stomach ache or something small like that, really like your whole day, it, all of a sudden your day is consumed with trying to feel better. Like all of a sudden nothing else matters. And it's very, and, sleeping, and, people sleeping just, and shit. <laughs> yeah. Pe- people just, people just take it for granted when they get up and feel good because if you're sick, if you're truly sick, if you have something major wrong with you, you know, especially with a cancer or whatever, like you just, you don't care about you. You'll give it all up for health. Health is number one after, after health, everything else is gravy. (laughs) Because everything else is workable, you know? And, 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 and I mean, you, you, I, 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 I make it even much more mundane. Like I can have a bad day if I don't have a good crap in the morning. Right. So like, why am I not, why am I not focused on, proper evalu- evacuation in the morning. And then I think, you know, I'm six foot three, 178 pounds and like pretty fucking good shape. And I look at all these people, you know, 72% of the U S population is overweight. 42% is obese. I, it just Crazy. boggles my mind to That's think of crazy. their gastrointestinal situation <laughs> and like, and, and how, no, and seriously, it, how it affects their moods and then they spend three hours, three hours a day, on social media, generating more anxiety, three hours a day, tuning out through TV. And these are, these numbers are higher than exercise, far higher than exercise, far higher than spending time with friends, caretaking children. I mean, so everyone is, so run house is really about success (laughs) and, and, um, and, um, and, uh, really about, you know, first of all, achieving success on, on just a very biological uh, format. Like, hey, I am optimizing what, you know, what I choose to call God's, you know, creation as much as I can. You know, like I was given this hardware. Why should I go out and buy the latest iPhone if I haven't like done the, the most that I can for this machine? Why should I buy a fast car? You know, if I can, you know, if I'm having a hard time getting off the floor without, you know, uh, mm. you know, under, with the strength of my legs, you know, let's, let's, let's deal with first, you know, first things first. Cause, cause that car, man, you know, a buddy of mine, who's like an amazing runner. we were like making fun. Like we see these guys, like we were talking about these guys who buy, you know, Camaros that look like the bumblebee car from transformers because they think it's going to make them look cool and attract chicks. And like, and like, <laughs> it's like, like, it's just so sad, you know? And, um, so run house is, um, so very plainly, I, I call it a co-working space for people who don't like to work. Um, that, that, that's, that's a, that's a wrong way. Like I love to work, but I don't like having to work, uh, and, and mostly for jobs, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a multi-purpose space. The primary use of it is for remote workers, uh, okay. and, uh, but it's, but it's for so much more than that. And it's really about, um, you know, because I took such a slow path to achievement and I'm, it's still questionable whether I've achieved <laughs> what anyone wants, but, um, you know, I've, I, I'm not a real estate person. I'm not a runner, you know, I'm not a dad. I'm not a cyclist, you know, I'm not a philosopher. I'm not a poet. I'm not a writer. I am all of these things, you know, um, I might have, you know, you know, uh, whatever, um, 
you know, Paul and, and writer might come high to the, you know, to the top of the list, but, but really I am all of these things. And essentially what jobs, job formation, corporate development, and certainly our real estate industry is what they do is they, they segment people, you know, like this is an office space. This is your residential space. This is your, this is your recreational space. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. behind each one of those spaces is a market. <laughs> and right now the people and, uh, and, and, and more specifically, you would call it a capital market. Right. And there's like a whole robust financial engine behind these single use real estate assets. And, and, and actually uh, there's, a, I mean, you could even apply that to single use employees really because a lot of people now are kind of you know going along these these career tracks where it's like you know they go to college they major in something and then they you know become the director of marketing and then their you know their their objective is to be the c-suite but really that's not just it's just not how humans operate you know we <laughs> and and it's it's not efficient uh, to be um you know, just so singular because you're really going to miss the, the 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 big picture. Mm. So I I think everything is going that way to multi-purpose uh, spaces, but multi-purpose humans, and 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 obviously the you know the the pandemic uh, created this. I mean, I was really pushing for the pandemic to just be this amazing reset, which it has worked. But remote work is really creating this uh, amazing opportunity for people to just, because when you spend your time, you know, let's say eight hours of the average workday in a, in basically in a space that uh, is prescribed, it's a prescriptive space. This is what you do in this space, right? You don't, you don't have fun here. I, I know we can put a ping pong table in the Google headquarters, but you know, ultimately this is not a fun space. This is not where we interact with our family and stuff like that. Maybe our professional friends, but not because you're, you know, you're necessarily connected to them. Right. Right. Um, so, so, uh, so I forget what the, the marketing term is, uh, uh, but basically it's an interest-based uh, co-working space. So, I mean, these are, and a lot of it is, you know, whether it's New York or Colorado uh, runners tend to be very tribal and, um, uh, um, you know, my friends that I, that I, so we already actually have an existing community. We just need a, a, a space to a space to go. Um, uh, so that's, that's, I mean, that's what co-working is. Right and then also like on, on, a, on, a, on a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, what was that? Yeah. The, um, the other thing was, if people are living in chronic health and not changing that position, they're really, and, and, and my, my, uh, my battle cry to investors has always been efficiency, right? But I've realized that if people don't understand efficiency on a personal level, if their answer is to everything to, to make it bigger and to make it more powerful or whatever, um, they're not going to, they're not going to see the value in efficiently designed and operated real estate. They're not mm. that like they're, um, and one of the, you know, this is just one of the things that people like, it's just really messed up in, in, in our, in our value system right now, in terms of, um, particularly in terms of manufacturing that people don't see the value 
value of, of removing stuff, you know, um, which has disproportionately hit the overweight, you know, like the first thing we should have been doing is prescribing people exercise, you know, and instead they were telling people to, to go inside. And I mean, the average indoor air quality, according to the EPA, is two to five times more polluted than outdoor, you know. Interesting. And, and Yeah. And, and outdoor activity has been, you know, proven time and time again to have enormous psychological benefits, right? Like they prescribe it in England. <laughs> like, psychology, you know, psychiatrists can prescribe going outside. Um, and yet, like, we're doing things counter data. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's, um, it's really about creating this new model of success, this holistic life that includes work and family and health and, and all of the above. Do you have a space open yet, or do you have a, a space in the works under construction? Anything you want to announce there? Oh, um, no, no. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm looking for, I'm looking for investors. Uh, I've been, I've been managing it with just basically keeping, uh, paying for rent. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I'm not a. I'm not private. I'm not, I'm not backed by a, a family office or anything like that. So um, I, I've got a lot of, I've got, you know, this is the thing. I've got a ton of community interest. Uh, you know, every freaking runner in Boulder knows David Friedman and Runhouse. Um, uh, but um, so a lot of times I've found that like stuff with high human appeal doesn't, um, when I talk to, and, and I still do talk to VCs, but they're just looking for the, they're looking for the, they're kind of looking for the ATM um yes. angle like how do we yep. just how do i yep. make how do i how do i make a bunch of money off and it's really exhausting so i'm i'm much i'm more interested in moving towards kind of smaller i i i'm still very open to investors but i just uh i i think investment i'm looking for something very small and uh and and really it's about developing a, a robust community that could be really scaled uh globally okay. Uh, it's okay. not a, it's not, it's not an expensive idea. It's not an expensive idea. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very good. Um, I want to ask you a couple, I know we're bumping up against our time and I want to really get to, I want to ask you a couple of hot topic questions here uh, really fast. Um, yes. By the way, is my internet, uh, am I choppy on your end? You're, you're, how's the connection? You, you chop, you chop for a second, but it's, it's mostly good. Mostly good. Okay. Uh, you, you, little... you, you got, you got, you, you stalled out for one sec. You stalled out there for one second. Okay. You're a little bit choppy on the video, but I, the audio is still okay. So we'll, we'll I think we'll be all right. Okay. Um, I want to ask you a couple of questions. These are big ones. I mean, these questions I'm about to ask you, we could do a, we could do an entire episode on each one. Right. So uh, go get your short version. <laughs> um, the housing piece. I know you've talked about this. You've spoke on it. You've written about it. The the let's talk about the homeless tent situation specifically. I, I because you're a a little bit of I don't know if we, we classify as a minimalist, but you're a housing specialist. You know that's your expertise. What do you do, David? I mean, you know, what would you do to clean up the the tent situation, the homeless situation? that we have across the country in some of these cities. I mean, you've been to the Bay area, you know how bad it is. I mean, hell, we, we got it. We got it in downtown Denver right now too. So <laughs> what would you do? How would you attack it? I, I realize you could do a whole episode on it, but maybe some 30,000 feet stuff, if you don't mind. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing to recognize about homelessness is nobody, most people who are homeless didn't plan to be homeless. You know, there are people who couldn't afford their homes. They couldn't find jobs and they probably exhausted all of their friends and family's goodwill. Right. And then, and then what happens is they start uh, living on the streets and the inherent trauma of living on the streets requires them to, you know, to be fucked up all the time. They get into drugs, they get into alcohol and then they, they, and, and um, all of a sudden, you know, there's millions of people like that now. Um, so homelessness is really much more of a problem. Um, and I'll, I'll, um, I'll narrow it down to Boulder here, which has a pretty, you know, sizable, um, and essentially there's just no options. You know, um, I worked with a San Francisco developer on a pretty, uh, pretty well-known campaign to push for supportive housing in San Francisco. Um, and part of that was I created a white paper, uh, entitled uh, uh, Bringing Back the Residential Hotel, uh, One Way of uh, Solving San Francisco's uh, Homeless Problem. Um, But essentially, throughout U.S. history, there were low-cost residential hotels where people could, you know, live um, with not a whole lot of money, but, you know, live in private, um, you know, they weren't always safe, uh, which is something that you could easily do something about. Um, but the main thing was they were just affordable places to live in central locations. And essentially what's happened is because of um, both the commoditization of real estate and then um, zoning reforms, mostly in the mid uh, 50, mid 20th century that, that skewed everything towards, uh, towards suburban development, which is now 80% of you know, all U.S. housing stock at least. Um, right, right around 80%. Um, there basically became very few options for, um, anyone that wasn't a nuclear family or a rich person, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, and we see that writ large now today, you know, in Boulder, it's like you either you live in expensive, uh, I mean, uh, you know, the real winners are global wealthy, you know, who come in here and buy their single family housing that they don't even occupy that much because they travel so much and they have other homes and stuff like that. And then meanwhile, all the people who actually work the restaurants who, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the teachers, uh, Oh, I actually have quite a few friends who are teachers here. Um, none of them live in central Boulder anymore. They all live, uh, you know, they'll, they'll live on the outskirts and, you know, uh, translate that to, to Denver or to New York, you know, in New York, they move to the outer boroughs and they keep on pushing them further and further out. They're, uh, because real estate is is looked at as this commodity thing versus like this mm. thing to house people, heaven forbid, mm. you know. I mean, that's why the there's all these empty retail spaces because from a commodity standpoint, they're not losing money. They're getting off the losses of you know they being uh, perhaps a developer investor. They have this property here, and they're writing off the losses on that against the profits someplace across the country, mm. you know. Mm. Um, so I've always just been really, uh, uh, adamant that real estate is a product. It is stuff. And the, you know, the product needs to do something Mm. (laughs) and, and the do, the do something is supporting life and Mm. like supporting a, a, a healthy economy, not supporting a, 
um, you know, a, a, a Fed that basically is completely underwritten by mortgage-backed securities at this point. That's really that's the it's 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 really a bummer. Um, mm. So we need to unlock that that real estate and start using it, you know, um, and uh, and then driving the prices down. Um, every time that, my wife, every time my every time we drive back past an abandoned abandoned building or like an empty what used to be a hotel or whatever. Every time we see one, my wife's like, "Why don't Why don't they just fix these? Why don't they just let these people live here and just and fix these up? Why they're just sitting there?" <laughs> it's it's it, it it's it's these ridiculous questions that only a seven year old would you know would <laughs> deign to ask, right? And but only like a sixty five year old private equity guy would you know would come up with an argument for for why not? You know, interesting. And that, let me can I ask you this specifically? Yeah. Um, and I struggle with this. Too, I'm I'm asking you these questions because I struggle with, struggle with them in my own mind and with my own emotions, sure. right? Yeah. When when I see people in tents, my, the first thing that happens is, you know, I feel emotional about it. I, my heart goes out to them. I'm like, yeah, we got you know, we got to help these people, you know what? And then I and then my second thought is, I don't know what the stat is. I'm not an expert on this topic at all, but I think there's a lot of mental mental. Uh, problems there there's mental health that is causing the homelessness i don't think people most people correct me if i'm wrong you're the expert most people don't choose to be homeless i think they they either have something mentally that's wrong with some medication or like you said earlier they got caught in a spiral uh and then they got hooked on drugs and alcohol and now they're in the situation i don't think i don't think somebody i don't think an average joe wakes up in suburban america and goes hmm i think i want to be homeless and just gets a tent and goes downtown right <laughs> no, but they, but they, but they might be born into the, they're born into poverty, you know, a lot of them are born into poverty. Yeah. A lot of, but and, where, yeah. where I was going to go though, was real quickly is, so, so I go to that emotion. First I have, first I have an emotional outpouring for them. Then I think, well, man, this is a major mental problem. We got to do something about the mental health. Cause that's what, cause if you, if we try to help them, but they're mentally unstable, they're just going to end up right back here. So then I say that to myself. And then I think, <clears throat> And this is going to piss off some of my rich Boulder friends because I know a lot of people in Boulder too. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, 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 and I seriously, David, I've had this conversation with millionaires slash billionaires in Boulder, and they'll say something like, "Oh, we gotta, you know, we can't, we can't remove these tents. We, we gotta help these people." Blah blah blah. And I've challenged them. I've said, "Oh yeah," I said, "Tell you what." I know where your house is. I know where your $5 million home is up near Boulder, downtown near Pearl street. If 10 tents wrapped around your house on the grass outside of your house, would you be cool with that? You're going to be cool with that. Is that okay with you? Right. <laughs> and then they always kind of, well, well, well uh, and then, then they start squirming. So what was my, oh, my guess my question to you was, should these tents be removed? Should they be taken away and, and, and where, where would you put them if you did, if the housing that you're talking about wasn't available, what would you do? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing to start is like, so like real, really realizing so many people don't have a place in society right now, you know? Um, so first acknowledging they have no fucking place to go, you know, no like what, 
Yeah. Like where are they going to go to a halfway house in Denver or something like that, that's subsidized by some nonprofit or, you know, whatever, like, like Mm -hmm. these options all suck. And, um, and I've certainly talked to plenty of homeless people who, you know, who, who do choose to stay out of the, um, the shelter system because the shelter system, can you Mm -hmm. imagine being whatever, how old are you? 50, what, um, you know, 55 year old, you know, and you've, you've hit, you know, perhaps decades of shitty circumstance. You're born in the city, city circle. And the land, and then, and then you have some shelter administrator telling you, you have to, you know, whatever, do some, you know, have to be in bed by nine o'clock. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, there's, they're humans, they're mm. humans, you know? Mm. Um, and, and they need a place. Right. So, I mean, I mean, the, the big question for, for, you know, for the millionaires is like, would you be willing to give up, you know, like if you have 10 fucking million dollars and you have, yep. and that was like, you know, that was, that was basically brought to you by just these amazing constellation of economic circumstances. Would you be willing to divest some of your wealth? Like, so that brings up say, my second question. That brings up my next question. Would you, are you for universal pay, universal would you distribute wealth across the planet if you could, if you had that power, if you had a magic wand, would you do that? Well, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm actually a horrible elitist. All right. <laughs> um, and I believe, you know, I'm, 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 I'm very much a, to each their need, um, you know, and to each their capability. Uh, and some people need more than others, you know, okay. um, does and, the guy, does the guy, does the guy really need the $10 million house in Boulder? Does he oh, really no, no, that's that? not, that, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about, I got two pair of headphones. I'm like, fucking, you know, <laughs> I've got, I, I, I got 10 pair of shoes, you know, like, okay. look at me, you know, yeah, no, no, I'm, 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 I'm really, I'm talking pretty, pretty basic stuff. Uh, I, I mean, a whole different level order of magnitude, the people you know, the, uh, the rich people that I know have so much money, they, you know, there's no way, like they're really protecting the interests of their, you know, unborn great grandchildren, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and if it were up the, to you and if it were up to you and you had the power, you'd make them distribute some of that wealth. Um, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I'm a very much a, a, a naturalist and, uh, and, and somewhat of a, an, an anarchist. Um, I, I really, I don't like, I, I'm just as opposed to like systems of distribution, you know, because like any, the distrib, you know, whoever's distributing this wealth is of course going to take like, you know, 0.5%, right? <laughs> um, so I'm really about just like letting letting the cards fall where they may. Well, that's what's uh, happening now though. That's what's happening but it's, now. But it's, but it's not, but if no dude, the fed has created 80% of all freaking dollars in the last two years. I all right. That somewhere, the gov- I read that somewhere recently. Yeah. yeah. yeah the yeah. the government, there, there are so many artificial for- forces holding, keeping the wealthy wealthy without merit, you know, without like unearned wealth. Let's talk. About, I, I don't want to, because, because I am, pl- I intend to be a very, I, I intend to be wealthy <laughs> and I intend to earn it. You know, like I'm not against, you know, reward and meritocracy. In fact, let's, you know, in, you know, talking about meritocracy, how often do we celebrate the, you know, the, the immigrant busboy, you know, or the, you know, the people who are actually running our world, you know, the people who are, 
right. um, paving our streets and stuff like that. Like, that's why I got really incensed about, I mean, I don't know the full story with like the Canadian trucker stuff, but man, you know, my, my grandfather worked on the fucking railroads, you know, like don't mm -hmm. ignore the complaints of big working men, you know, right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. like, totally. like, Totally. Um, I want to ask you, I know we're, I know we're over on time. If you got, I know I'm keeping you over. I want to ask you one okay. more, okay. one more outside the lines questions. And we could, yeah. like I said, we could, we could go for another two hours. Um, how about this one, David, totally switching gears for a second. Cause we're almost out of time. You mentioned that you lost a couple of profiles on LinkedIn. So you have cancel culture has affected David personally. Um, how do you feel about it? How, what are your thoughts on cancel culture? What are your thoughts on censorship in general from some of these social media platforms? I'd like to get your thoughts on it real quick. Oh, um, I just think in general, social media has been a net drain on society. Uh, okay, agreed. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> why in the hell are we making Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey rich? You know, like it's, it's, I really think that they've taken my wealth. Uh, you know, when I, when I, when I hit the professional world in 2007, you know, I was really trying to connect people. Um, and, and Facebook is really trying to sell ads to people, you know, yes. like that's, that, yes. that is Facebook and Twitter's MO. Let's, let's have as much engagement so we can keep people on the platform longer. So they have exposed to more ads. That's it. And, and, and now it's actually even gotten much more meta because a lot of times the ads are a particular political agenda that could support a, a whole economic um, yes. Yes. Uh, infrastructure. Right. Yep. So yep. these are really um, so I think most of the um, most of the cancel culture is people parroting lines that they heard, um, you know, from from online stuff when you're in in like most people, when they're just dealing with each other directly, you know, it's like, oh, there's a human in front of me, you know, uh, you know, my whole thing with the, you know, with, with all the, the race baiting, you know, it's, yes. it's all, constant. you know, my it's constant, it's constant. Yeah. yeah. My, constant. my grandfather, just a little bit of context, my grandfather and grandmother were turned into the freaking FBI because, because of a black spy going to communist meetings. Right. I'm not, <laughs> Like, I'm not talking out of this shit, you know, talking about this stuff without context, right? I was yeah. one of two white kids in my fifth grade class, all right, in, 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 in otherwise black school. Go fuck yourself if you don't think I know what diversity is, you know? <laughs> and, and, um, and, and anyway, and all these people parroting, you know, and I, and I know some of these people, and they're not, they don't have a diverse friends. They don't, they don't um, they don't live in circumstances that uh, promote uh, economic equality, in fact, do things that move the complete opposite. So um, I'm just my big thing lately, because because it has affected me and I um, I've gotten in a lot of trouble uh, for crap I've done online. Uh, should you? Um, my question, though, is should you have or 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 are you a hands down? Hey, First Amendment. First Amendment, or or what are you? I'm trying. I'm trying to pin you oh. down. Just well, I mean, the, the canceling is just inherent with the system because, like, it's it's really it's about curating this existence that omits certain information, right? right. Like, like to me, to me, all the like, you know, the Me Too stuff it misses like this whole, 
just misses human sexuality, right? Like, like, whoa, <laughs> like, like, oh, we've been having sex since we've been around and like, we can't necessarily control it when we're, you know, in our workplaces or online or wherever or whatnot. And I'm, and I'm not at all promoting inappropriate behavior at all. I'm yeah. just saying it's something that really needs to be taken seriously. Our hormones are at play here and we need to understand that and not condemn when people are being biological creatures, right? Like that's, that's so much of, 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 of what I see. Um, so, um, my biggest strategy really has been, uh, really trying to ignore it. Um, I also, I do, I do have fun disrupting it, uh, and, and like, and, 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 and uh, um, I are mean, you hoping, so are you hoping that Musk buys Twitter? Are you hoping that goes through? What do you think? I thought he already did. Oh, I thought it was. Oh, I, I'm not an expert on that. We're, by the way, for the audience, we're recording this on May 18th, 2022. Uh, I don't know if it's a done deal. Are you? All right, let's let's just let's assume it's a done deal. Is that? Are you happy with that? Are you good with that? Or are you? Do you think? Do you? Think- I do, I really don't give a shit. You know, like seriously, I I mean, I don't I don't I don't have the. I'm not as much of a hater as some people, but like, listen, Tesla's not. It's not going to save the day for climate. You know, these are expensive electric cars. Electric's not even that high tech, to be honest. I mean, the and the self-driving stuff. He's building tunnels under Las Vegas convention centers. I mean, like, I don't again, like this guy would not really be that important if we didn't have the internet to tell us that he was important. And so many of these things, you know. And it's and it's like I'm supposed to believe that Lizzo is sexy. No. <laughs> Sorry. I, you know, you really, you really touched on something uh, earlier. Um, what'd you say? You said that your exact quote was um, social media has had a net negative impact on the world. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everything, Cause I don't want to dismiss this. You know, we met through it and whatever. And I've met some friends online. Like, I don't want to say like it's has been for nothing, you know, it has been, yeah, but it really is. Um, it, people can't communicate. They, they, their people skills, they, the EQ of America has done this. Right. And it's, and it's very tough. I mean, here's something a little bit, you know, I talk about this with real estate, but you know, I'm 46 or 55. Like we remember it used to be better and more fun to be a human, you know, like people just, it It did. It's, it's not, it's not nostalgia. It's like, it used to be easier to like go on dates. It used to be easier to hang out with friends. It used to yes. just like, and like people weren't on, you know, on their tippy toes all the time about saying shit. And, and like the political divisions weren't that great. You know, I never so, remember it. No. Um, and I've had arguments with people like that. My age, I always tell them, I'm like, man, I never, when I was a kid, yeah, there was left and right and Democrats and Republicans. And sure. And sure. We, we talked about it a little bit, but it wasn't like, we didn't all walk around hating each other, like throwing shit at each other all the time. It just wasn't like right, that. Because, because <laughs> it's a matter of attention when people keep on getting these messages. Like, mm. I mean, like, mm. <laughs> again, like, why are we, there are so many deep, deep Ukraine sized problems in America right now. You know, like people are mm. suffering in America. Like should we, we actually, should we be sending billions of dollars to Ukraine? Why don't we use that money to clean up some of the problems here with the housing? That's what I'm saying. Like until we, and, and this is back to the run house thing. It's like, until we're taking care of our bodies until mm. we're taking care of, you know, first it starts with our bodies and it take, and then it's our families, then it's our communities. 
right? Mm -hmm. And it expands mm -hmm. outwards. But right now it's like, like people are people are spending more time thinking about, you know, trans elders and fucking, you know, Ukrainians <laughs> than they are about their brothers and sisters. It's really absurd. That, now that blows me away too. And that's the whole virtue signaling and things like that. Yeah. People, people are putting up a Ukraine flag on their LinkedIn profile and virtue signaling about whatever the hot topic is, if it's trans or whatever, but yet, meanwhile, they're not doing anything about their own neighborhood or street or the, the people that truly need help in their own backyard or with their own health or whatever. That, that blows me away. I totally agree. This might, might be a nice closing, but um, so I had an aunt and she was very influential on me, too. This is my, my father's uh, sister. Uh, she was born Ruth, but she actually changed her name to Spring. She was uh, she was bisexual. She came out as bisexual in 1968. She started, wow. um, she, she got his, yeah. she got her urban planning degree at, um, let's see, she got her master's at urban planning at, at Hunter. Um, and she went to university of Wisconsin undergrad. Her and my father did a feminist teaching at the university of Chicago economic school in 1968. Um, cool. she later moved to the East Bay, opened up a feminist co-housing thing that she ran for 50 years. Wow. She, she took her single bisexual status and she looked at her community and she said i'm going to step in and be the family member that that um disenfranchised usually black families need and she she got actually really early into green building and doing deep mm. uh, energy rehabs on local housing there you go. She, there you go. she had she had she adopted a whole bunch of um children in her community she uh mentored uh, single black women to become contractors. This is like in the fucking eighties, you know, wow. like doing, so doing, doing tangible, real things, not, not just posting something for likes on both social media, but actually making shit happen. <laughs> but not only that, using your, using your, using your diverse status as a weapon instead of, instead of a, a tool for victimization, you know, Ooh, look, good. look, That's good stuff. Dude. Look, look, I'm not, I'm single. I can take care of. And, and somehow like I get from a lot of these kids that like, Oh, you know, lay off us. <laughs> like, like, like we need more rights. We need more rights. And it's like, but you're not doing anything besides hanging out on social media. Bingo. You know? and Bingo. Bingo. Oh my God. Do, do you know how many times I keep telling my wife, I'm like, where are the young people, man? Where, yeah. where are the young people for some of this stuff? I mean, where are they? Yeah. So th this is the, this is the joke about my run house. Cause people are like, Oh, it's just, it's just for fit runners. I'm like, it's open to anyone who wants to do the work. That's good stuff, <laughs> you know? man. That's good stuff. David, we could go for another hour, but I know I've, I've already yeah. kept you over, man. Thank you so much. No worries, for the Butterflex podcast. I really appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Super fun, man.